Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke 18. We're going to take a look at uh, verses 35 to 43, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 18 today, and we'll be finishing up um, volume 5 of history. Uh, We're in this series, you know, going through the book of Luke, and so if the Lord tarries, we're going to pick Luke back up in January of 2019 and let him take us all the way through Easter um, next year. Volume 6, the final volume. Huh. Probably make a movie out of that. That'd be kind of cool. You know, there's a pretty big difference between knowing about something and actually doing it. You know? I, I, I admire... People who have the know-how to get under the hood of a car or under the car itself and fix what's broken or change the oil or change the brakes, you know. They just get their hands dirty doing the work. If if I have the hood up at home of one of my cars, I'm probably changing the headlight, you know, something like that. And I'm doing that because I looked at a YouTube video on how to do that. Now, here's the thing. I have actually considered doing this, changing my own oil. You know, I was like, come on, what, what kind of a man are you, dude? You can't, you can't even change your own oil. I'm like, how hard can it be? So, you know, I've, I've, I've watched a YouTube video on how to change the oil in my car, make and model, all, all of that. So I, I know about how to do it. But I've never actually done it. I've never gotten under the, you know, the engine there and pulled the plug, drained the oil, put the new filter on, put the new oil in. I've never gotten my hands dirty changing the oil in my own car. And there's a big difference between knowing about something and actually doing it. And the same could be said for our uh, faith, our, our faith in God. I mean, we can know a lot about our faith, but we can go out and live our lives without ever bringing it to life in our life. And so we never get our uh, hands dirty under the hood of our Christianity, exercising our faith. Well, today in these verses, we've got some good help in understanding how to bring our faith to life in our life. And when we're we're done, we're going to have a chance to get our hands dirty under the hood. Of Christianity. So let's start there, reading uh, verses 35 to 43. 
As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word um, this morning, the, uh, the faith that it stirs in us and, and the, the things that it will teach us about following you and, and believing in you. And we, we would pray that it would be good help to us to, to bring our faith to life, to, to be able to take it out of this building and uh, take it to work, um, and take it to the store, and take it back to our homes and see faith come to life. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we're going to do this, if we're going to bring our faith to life, we've got to know what we're up against. Um, there's, there's resistance. Resistance to our faith. And in verses 35 to 39, Luke brings up, you know, he brings us back to the road to Jerusalem. And he, he brings up this geographical marker. You know, he says that Jesus is nearing the town of Jericho. And so that's where this group of pilgrims is that's headed to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is a city about 10 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. So Jesus is getting close to his, to his destination. Now, uh, the thing is, when Jesus was passing by the city of Jericho, in, in that time, in his day, there was actually two Jerichos. There was an old Jericho and a new Jericho. The old Jericho was kind of run down, ruined, and then there was a new Jericho that was about a mile away from the old Jericho that was brand new. Herod built the new Jericho. And the reason that that is important is because this story you can find in another gospel, in Matthew. And when you read this story in Matthew, there's a few differences from what Luke tells us. Uh, so in, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 30, um, it describes Jesus leaving Jericho and it describes two beggars instead of one. And so this would be one of those places that critics of the Bible would point to and go, there's a problem here. Who's right? Matthew or Luke? Must be a contradiction. Must be a mistake. But the answer is, both of them are right. See, in, in uh, Matthew... Uh, Jesus was le leaving old Jericho, and in Luke, he's approaching new Jericho. And then in Luke, he only mentions one beggar, and that was the one that was the most outspoken. That was a common thing that happened in storytelling. You know, it's just focus on one of the guys that got healed. And so there, there's a, a, an explanation for this apparent contradiction. And the reason that this has to come up is um, our doubts about the Bible... Our doubts about the Bible can be a resistance to our faith. Having questions that the book we have in our homes that we read every day is actually the Word of God. Listen to a couple of verses. 
Second Peter chapter two, verses 19 to 21. So we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. You will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dismal place until the days until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from God. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so those two verses together are kind of a couple of hallmark verses for helping us formulate our doctrine of the Bible. This is God's word. He wrote it. And if he wrote it, there aren't any mistakes in it. There are no contradictions. It is perfect, inerrant, infallible. And so uh, when we look at trying to resolve apparent contradictions, um, we we dive in and we investigate um, what answers might be. And and so any time that I have tried to do that, when I run into one of these things, you know, and it comes up occasionally... Or we see these differences. Well, it comes up in the Easter story. You know, there's different differences in the Gospels about the Easter story. You know, so any time that you take a dive into those things and you go looking at those, any time I've done that, I've always found that there's an answer that's really understandable, that's pretty easy to figure out, and you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to, you know, to make it make sense. There's always an answer. And so when it comes to our questions or our confidence in God's word, that's one way that we meet the resistance of our doubts uh, about the Bible, is that we investigate what the critics are saying until we realize that there is not another book on the planet that we should treasure more than the word of God. Psalm 19, 7 to 10 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So it's a treasure. More than much fine gold. If we should have in our lives that, that that that's what that book is. So now Jesus wasn't just going to Jerusalem by himself and with his disciples. There was this crowd of people that were going with him, a, a band of pilgrims on their way um, to the great city to celebrate Passover. And while they would go through these other cities, people who weren't going to Jerusalem would line the streets and they would wish wish them well on their way. And so it's in that setting, and somewhere along the route, was a, right outside New Jericho, um, there was this blind beggar there. And he hears that a bunch of people are passing by, and so he asks one of the onlookers, hey, what's going on? He asks because he couldn't see. And that's the next resistance to our faith. Is it's our blindness. Our blindness. You know, we can't see what's going on much further than the present moment that we're in. We don't know what the future holds. We, all we have is what God's told us. And that's where our faith kicks in. You know, you'll never be able to walk by faith if you can see. Because when you can see, you don't need faith. 
Blindness is a necessity for walking by faith. And faith moves ahead in spite of not being able to see. But you know, blindness, trying to move forward in, in darkness, is you, you can feel that resistance. It would be just like if I brought one of you up here to the stage here, brought you over here, you know, I kind of stand over here and I point you in this direction and I put a blindfold on you, tie it there, and I say, all right, your goal is to make it to the other side of the stage, you know, right through these instruments, all that stuff. But don't worry, I'm going to be right behind you. I'm going to be telling you where to walk, how to go. You know, can you imagine, just close your eyes for a minute. Can you imagine walking through this stage with all these instruments, with me telling, okay, take a step about six inches, <sighs> turn to the left a little bit, turn to the right. I mean, your faith in my words would determine which way that you go. You can feel that blind. If you've ever tried to walk through a dark room, this completely dark room, you can feel the blindness. Okay, open your eyes. I don't want you to fall asleep. I know you lost an, <laughs> lost an hour of sleep there. <laughs> so faith in God moves forward in spite of that resistance. You know, in spite of that blindness. And listen, every step you take in the dark is a step of faith. And every step you take in the dark is a step that strengthens your faith and helps you keep going. Now, the blind man, he takes such a step when he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So in that, in that, um, when he does that, he meets the next resistance, and that's opposition. Voices of opposition. The people around him tell him to be quiet. Don't bother him. In fact, he's teaching and we can't hear him because you're making all this racket. So if we're going to bring our faith to life, we're going to have to meet... The resistance of opposition. So it's voices. Voices that we hear when we're taking steps of faith. That God's way isn't the best way. That God's wisdom, he doesn't really know what he's doing. That God's work, it really doesn't make any difference. That, that God really isn't faithful. That God really doesn't love you. That he's, that he's punishing you. That, that he's holding out on you. I mean, all these voices from Satan to unbelievers to misguided believers to the own voice of doubt in our hearts. All of those things are resistance to bringing our faith to life. And they always show up, they always speak up when we've started to take a step. You know, this blind man, he didn't meet it until he shouted out the first time. Jesus, son of David. And then here it comes, be quiet. Be quiet, man, shut up. You're bothering us. We can't hear what he's saying. So how did he overcome it? How did the blind man overcome it? He shouted louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's, how, that's what he did. He had to overcome the voices of opposition. Now, that, 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 the, the language of that verse is desper, desperate. It's desperation. I mean, I was trying to think of a desperate situation. So, you know, maybe somebody hanging off the top of the Empire State Building, holding onto a thread and their, their hands, you know, they're getting ready to lose their grip and they're yelling at people up there, help me. That's this guy. He is desperate for help. So how do you do that? How do you shout louder than the voices of opposition in your life? 
Well, you need to feed your faith. Now, you've already showed up at church today, and this is one of the greatest ways to to feed your faith, to turn up the decibels of your faith. I mean, when I come here almost every Sunday, hearing you guys sing, worshiping with you, hearing your encouragement, it always boosts my faith volume. It it always does. And so I I love being here. Um, Immersing yourself in God's Word, that is a way to, to increase your faith. Uh, meeting with another brother or sister for one-on-one accountability stuff and encouragement, that always will boost your faith. Always will. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past, um, how he's worked in the past. You know, this this last week, I was looking through some old emails. And uh, they were emails that were uh, conversations that were going on between Pastor Shane and I when we were starting the church and um, and then with Meyer. You know, I don't know if you guys know this part of the story of, of this story, but we were when we before we left Brookville Road, we were meeting once a month on a Saturday to have vision meetings, and so uh, we started to do that. And, and so I had one in April, and then I had one in May. And at the end of the uh, after like the Monday after the Saturday that we had that in May, all my worship team said they weren't coming with me. <laughs> I'm like having a crisis of faith, you know. I'm like Lord. Really, I mean, we're like two months away from leaving. I got nobody to do music. And so um, I just reached out to Pastor Shane. I said, hey, I need you to come and help us out, if you would, for, you know, the next vision meeting. And so then he and I started talking about him helping out. And so he ended up coming. And so, you know, it's just great to see that, how God provided. Meyer, same thing. You know, when we were looking for a place to meet, we, we found this place. I didn't know, you know, who owned it. Didn't Meyer, you know, rent-free lease. And then, you know, here we come again. We're going to build, but we want you to stay. I mean, just incredible ways that God answered prayer. And I was just looking back and going, yes, my faith volume went up. Now, sometimes all it takes to overcome the opposition is to mention the name of Jesus. And you see this uh, blind man, he does just that. Um, coming, uh, when we mention the name of Jesus, we are coming to God in relationship as a, as a child of God. I mean, this guy, he could have addressed Jesus other ways, right? He could have said, Rabbi, and Rabbi, help me. Or he could have said what the guy said last week, the flattering, good teacher. You know, come on over here, I need help. But he didn't. He said, Savior and Lord, Jesus Son of David. When you mention Jesus' name, you're coming to God through a relationship in Him. And, and when you do that, you're believing that there's power in Jesus' name. When, when you speak it out loud, there is power in it. There is strength and might and authority in His name. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. John 14.3, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote, There is no name higher than Jesus' name. No other name higher. Romans 10.13, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There's power in Jesus' name. There's authority. There's might. There's strength. All of that. So when we're, when we're meeting the resistance of this opposition, it's okay to say Jesus' name. It's good to say it. It's... All we need to do to overcome. Then there's one last resistance. And that was the delay in Jesus that Jesus had in answering this man. He had to call out twice. So this, this beggar was waiting. He waited for Jesus to respond. And this is where we live, isn't it? <laughs> we live right here in this waiting. And we're, and we're not very good at waiting. 
uh, you know, like text messages. We send a text message. What do we we want? Like we want them to send a text back like right away. And if we don't get it, you know, we can start feeling the waiting. We start feeling that, you know, because we know they're looking at their phone, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I need to know. We're not good at waiting. And that, you know, everywhere. Traffic, waiting on spring, waiting in the drive-thru, doctor's office. I mean, you name it. We can feel the waiting. But waiting on God should be different than any other kind of waiting that we do. Isaiah, verse 40 Uh, Chapter 40, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so there's purpose in the waiting. God is working. God is at work in us. God is doing something. He's, He's creating this environment for us to continue to seek Him, to continue looking to Him uh, for the answer. Have you ever used one of those hand grip strengtheners? You know, you know what I'm talking about. I should have had a picture. I have some, and I couldn't. I just kept forgetting to bring it. I was going to have an object, you know. So Pastor Shane would have been proud of me. I had an object lesson. But you know, it's a it's two couple plastic handles, and you squeeze it together, and you hold it, and it you know you you do that, and it's like exercises for your hand. And it strengthens your hand. Well, did you know that if you if you hold that in your hand and you squeeze it and you hold it for two minutes, and then you switch it and you do it in the other hand, and then you do that three times, and you do that three times a day, that will lower your blood pressure ten percent. Did you know that? Now it's really hard. I, 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 that's why I have one because I was like, I'm gonna, you know, no medication, just do stop. When I first started doing it, I couldn't get to two minutes. You know, I mean, it, it was like 30 seconds. And so it took a while to get up to two minutes. But yeah, as you do it, you get stronger. That's exactly what happens when we wait on God. It's like we're squeezing that thing, and it's making us stronger as we wait on him. And, and, and our blood pressure goes down. We experience peace When we do that, you know, Philippians four verses six and seven, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So there's there's resistance, resistance to bringing our faith to life, you know, it's kind of the water that we swim in if, if we're going to try to get our hands dirty under the, the hood of our Christianity. Uh, but you know what? We can overcome it. And when we overcome it, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. So the next verses, 40 to 42, is the next help uh, to bring faith to life. Making the requests of faith. So Jesus commands that the man be brought to him and ask him an amazing question. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, that is so much mercy in that question. Can you imagine getting that question? So much love in that question. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you think that Jesus needed that question? I mean, wouldn't we be able to look at the guy and go, we know what he wants? Couldn't we figure out what he needed, his greatest need? I mean, Jesus surely knew. So the question wasn't so much for Jesus as it was for the the blind man. What was on his heart? What was he believing for? 
I mean, was he going to ask for a couple of coins to get him through the day? Uh, was he going to ask for some food to quiet his stomach, some, some clothes, you know, to replace something that, that's worn out? What was his request going to be? You know, all of those things anybody could do. What was he going to ask the Savior to do for him? Now, the, the request he makes is something only God can do. Let me recover my sight. He wants to see again. Now, just think about what it took for him to be able to ask that question, to, ask, to make that request. I mean, that, that had, to be, had to be some humility in that request. There had to be some courage in that. And there had to be some faith, of course, to make that request. Now, just, you know, let me, let me make one thing clear. I, I believe that God wants us to take everything in our life, small, little, wide, deep, whatever it is, to him. Everything. Every need is, is important to bring to God. So, you know, in, in making requests, I think we can kind of get in this battle of, you know, God's not answering, so I must not be asking right. Uh, you know, just push that aside. God loves you. He wants us to ask. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to knock on closed doors so he can open them. And so we need to bring a request to him. There's nothing you care about that he doesn't care about because he cares about you. So it's wide open. There isn't this certain set of life that you need to give to God and then the rest you have to take care of yourself. It's, it's all there to give to him. And so First Peter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So if we're going to bring faith to life, you know what it means? It means that we are going to be asking Jesus for help. We're going to be coming to him, making requests in faith. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at asking for help. Now, I don't think any of us are. We want to, we want to you know, take care of it ourselves rather than ask for help. We, we don't want to bring just you know, trivial things to Jesus. He's got more important things to do. Um, we don't want to admit that we can't take care of something. And so we don't ask for help. But living a life of faith is a humble life. It's a humble life. Peter said, humble yourselves under God's mighty power. And living your faith is leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. It's a life of making your quest to him, of presenting your needs to him, of trusting him. And it's admitting that we're powerless to accomplish his will. So there's humility in our requests. And we also express humility when we make our requests subordinate to his priorities. You know, this amazing question Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? It doesn't make him the genie in the bottle. You know, who pops out and says, Master, you get three wishes. Whatever you want, I'll do. No, he's the master. We're under him. Our requests need to be subordinate to his priorities. And so all that really means is we want to have an attitude in our hearts that says, Lord, here I come with my needs. If it's in your will... Would you do this? If it's in your will. You don't have to say the words every time, but that's the attitude of our heart. You know, if it's in your will, Lord. So we ask in humility when we bring our requests to God. We also ask with some courage. 
You think about the, the setting this man did this. He, he, um, he was not in this private moment with Jesus. Um, he had people standing around, people that already told him to shut up. What were they going to say now? And what were they going to say when I asked Jesus to heal me? Are they going to laugh at me? Stop bothering him. Do your prayers take any courage to speak out loud? Do they take any courage to voice your faith? You know, Pastor McWan just, you know, has a prayer ministry that's unbelievable. It's one of the main focuses of, of his work. And he is, I just admire the courage that he has to speak out loud these are the requests of faith. You know, like walking into a hospital room uh, where there's a boy who's on life support. And he says, talks to the doctor. And the doctor says, there's no hope. It's a good thing you're here. And he said, why is there no hope? <laughs> what do you mean there's no hope? There is hope. God can heal him. And then to speak that in a room of people where the expert's saying there's no hope, he's going to die. And then to say that, think of the courage that that takes. And then you stand around and pray with the family. And you go home and an hour later you get a phone call and say, hey, he's awake. Standing in, a, in the living room of a Hindu who's got a paralyzed arm and he anoints the arm with oil and he says, okay, you know, we, we, we're going to pray that God will unfreeze the arm with his family standing around. People who don't know the Lord, people who are, you know, they're spiritual people, but... Praying that prayer takes courage. I, I, I so admire his courage. Do you have to you have to ask with courage if we're going to voice our faith? If we're going to bring it to life. And then finally, we want to ask in faith. We want to ask in faith. And James uh, one verses five to seven says, "Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting." For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You know, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That, that's what faith is. And when we're making our requests with all the faith that we can muster, it is inevitable that doubt's going to come up. I mean, we're, we're going to, it's going, it's going to be there. And so the best thing to do when doubt comes up is just confess it to God. And just telling him, Lord, I, I'm, having, I'm having trouble believing that this boy can wake up. I'm having trouble uh, believing that you can unfreeze an arm. Don't let my doubt get in the way of what you want to do. Help me. You know, remember that uh, man in Mark chapter 9 who, who brought his son to Jesus and um, he's, he's told Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. It's a, it's a great prayer to remember. It's very simple. I believe, help my unbelief. Confess your, your doubt uh, to God. And you know how you know if you've asked your prayer in faith? Is after you've prayed, are you looking for the answer? Are you expecting God to do something? I mean, imagine the look of expectancy on this blind man's face when he was there with Jesus. I imagine him on the ground still. And I mean, they, they brought him to, to Jesus, and but face pointed toward toward Christ. I mean, he I, I just see him looking at Christ, 
And he's believing that Jesus could heal him. And he's believing that Jesus would heal him. How do we know that? Because of what Jesus says. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. This guy had a living faith. And we know we're asking in faith when we're looking for the answer. We're looking for God to show up and, and do what only he can do. So those are ways, things that we run into when we are making our requests. And then last, the last help for bringing faith to life is living the results from faith. In verse 43, it's not all hard work. It's not all resistance and persistence. You know, there are times when God breaks through, when the darkness turns to light. There are times when weakness turns to strength, when answers that we get are better than we were praying for. And those are amazing, wonderful times. That's what verse 43 has got for us. It's telling us that. It says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Well, what happened there? Well, darkness turned to light. The blind man could see. That would be enough, wouldn't it? But there's more. The beggar became a pilgrim. Once, all he could do was beg. He was blind. But now, all he could do was follow. Follow the one who healed him. That's all he could do. And then that begging became glorifying. It became glorifying God. I mean, beggars, you know, whatever they do is just repetitious. They're knocking or whatever, trying to get attention, shaking, changing a dish, or you know, help, help, help to onlookers, you know, trying to get help. But now... He's able to glorify God. He's glorifying God for what God has done for him. And, and what, uh, so he's given this compelling witness. And then the spectators that were there became worshipers. So the people who, who saw what Jesus did, they, they began to praise God too. They saw a miracle. I mean, they saw God pour out his mercy and grace on somebody who could not see, a, a destitute beggar. And so when you see that, you can't help but praise God. So the, all these people were living the results from faith in Jesus. What does it mean to glorify God? We, we uh, have that kind of as a common thing that we hear. What, what does that mean? Well, here, John Piper shares a definition of glorifying God. He says it's feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all of his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his assorted perfections. So when we bring our faith to life, when we overcome resistance and make our requests in faith, the results will inevitably be us glorifying God with who we are and what he's done for us. I mean, you just won't be able to help yourself. When God shows up, when he comes through. See, our lives become this living testimony to God's presence and power. You go out there and you, uh, you share about his greatness and uh, his glory and his mercy to you. I mean, it's all we'll be able to think about. All we'll be able to think about is, is following him uh, because of that. And all of that's wrapped up there in verse 43. All of that is possible today if you bring your, your faith to life. So question is, 
Do you have a testimony in the works? You know, something you're believing God to do for you? Trusting in Him and you know, waiting on Him? Something only He can do? Is there a testimony in the works? Meet the resistance. I know it's there. Overcome that, that resistance. There's a day coming when your very life will be a testimony about His power, His, His mercy, His grace, His goodness. It's coming. You'll be living the results of your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to just take our faith out there today. Um, we want to exercise that faith in, in uh, who you are and what you can do. So even in, in that, Lord, we want to lean in to you to make a request for that, that you would give us the gift of faith, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you and follow uh, closer than we ever have before. Now, this very day, and I know there's things that people are trusting you for. Their their uh, their hope is in you, and we we pray for those things today that you would come through in their life, that you would break through, that you know that your will would be done in us and through us. So send us out in the strength of your Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.